Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 71, dealing with turbulence, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is your host, Carl Valeri, and this is my actually first real solo with my favorite Airedales. Uh, and that would be... Rest, rest. No, 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 not the dog Airedale, but the, oh, the aviation sorry. Airedales. If you don't know what an Airedale is, that's the... Uh, they used to call them the brown shoes in, uh, in the Navy, and those are the folks that actually were involved in aviation that could be uh, enlisted or officers. But this oh. is really exciting to be here today. Uh, I'm with uh, my co-hosts uh that was rick felty you heard there hey rick welcome where are you today Hello. i am uh, outside of boston and uh just uh, having a good having a good it's a school vacation week so that that sort of ripples a bit to me and i end up having a bit of vacation myself so i've had a couple of days to to be doing uh, some fun things and uh and the weather's been great here so and i'm happy to be back recording with you guys it's been a little while yeah it's exciting to, to have you here it's you know i was up in boston not long ago and it was pretty cold i got outside that aircraft and walked around really yeah. fast wow it's uh yeah today it was in the 70s so today actually felt very much you know spring you know spring like and and the marathon actually which is as we record this was just a couple of days ago was um uh, it was yesterday it was it was a little on the warm side i heard for some of the runners so but that that went great and was was a great event. So uh, all is good here. Well, that's terrific. And uh, also joining me is uh, Victoria Zyko. Victoria, welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm sitting here all cozy up, ready to talk. I got my PJs on and a glass of wine. So PJs and a glass of wine. Yep. Well, that doesn't sound very turbulent to me, but uh, we'll get to that yep. topic later. <laughs> also joining us today is Sean Moody. Sean, welcome. Hey, hey, actually, it starts getting turbulent the more you drink it. Things start swaying a little bit more, I think. I've got the <laughs> glass of bourbon, and I'm just, I'm waiting to see what reporting I'm going to have to do. <laughs> well, I, I, it's funny we shouldn't call Airedales, which are aviation uh, drinkers here, because I, I was just drinking a Dos Equis, and that means uh, two for nice. Tuesday in, in Spanish, I think. Are you the most interesting man in the world? I am the most interesting <laughs> man in the world. Yes. Yes. The, uh, and uh, Sean, where are you today? Um, uh, home in Lexington, where um, actually recovering from, uh, as we record this, Easter was, what, two days ago? So I'm just sitting on my couch recovering from all the chocolate. Chocolate, wow. You oh, know, yeah. So everybody had a great Easter. That's great to hear. Yeah. I, uh, mm -hmm. I actually had a really good Easter, too. I wasn't home, but I was in uh, a town called San Mateo. It's just south of San Francisco Airport. And uh, just a, a beautiful little town, and uh, it, was, it was quite interesting to be out there for the Easter holiday. Uh, I was walking around and didn't realize it was Easter Sunday, and everybody's got suits and ties on, and and everybody's like, "Well, happy Easter!" I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's right, it's Easter." So I do do lose track of time, unfortunately, with my job sometimes. Well, I'm here located in uh, in 
sunny Florida right now. It's actually fairly cool here. It's about uh, 72 degrees, and for us that means it's jackets and hats weather. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful day, and I'm, I'm just excited to have this as actually my first show. I know the one at Sun and Fun we did last episode was really the first solo, but this is the one with, with all of our, our co-hosts here and the, the regular gang, Yay. as they call it. So it's very exciting. I, I'm so glad that uh, Len's able to do what he's doing right now. We're, we do miss him, and uh, but we're really following his journey, and just, uh, that's what aviation is. It's, a, it's really a journey. Let's do the pre-flight. We got some really great topics today, and and one really really cool one that I I can't wait to get to, and and Rick's going to be talking about that in a little bit. But before we get started with that, just a a couple of uh, announcements and uh, just a few uh, things that we're going to let's see. I think we just have one announcement actually today, and that's the uh, that's actually mine. It's going to be the uh, the oh the women air service pilots, the wasps. I got to speak with them while I was at uh, Sun and Fun. And it was really cool. Hate just as, you, by the way. Why you hate me? Why? Yeah, I'm why? jealous. Was sun and fun. Oh, got to talk to them. Yeah, they were. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet ladies. Now get this: we're all on the deck talking, and the two ladies across from us I'm interviewing, and then and then there's two hosts here interviewing me and another gentleman, and it was it was like all of a sudden realized all the people there were from New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, They're, these are the true Jersey girls right here sitting across from me, these women air service pilots. And they really personified what it's like to be from New Jersey, especially from that era. And uh, what's, what's amazing is the conversations I had with these ladies about, like, Newark, New Jersey, where I was as a child, and naming streets that, t- to them, you know that picture in their mind is totally different than what the picture that I have from my childhood, because things have changed so dramatically from those times. But you know, even though much has changed, a lot of things haven't really. People, people are people, and uh, and it was it was really neat to see these cross generations and these conversations where we all were so related. You know, we we relate to so many things that are familiar, especially with aviation. It's a it's a real common ground. But you know, one of the things they told me about, and this is a real interesting fact, is that they got the uh, the gold, the Congressional Gold Medal, like it's an honor medal, and they were given that uh, recently, and they were wearing those medals of honor uh, while they were at uh, Sun and Fun, and they said that coming up, they're going to have this. It's like a homecoming. It's a reunion, and that reunion's going to be. Uh, if some people know this, it's out in Sweetwater, Texas. And that's actually where the National Wasp World War II Museum is in Sweetwater, Texas. And May 24th, that's Saturday, May 24th, they're going to have actually a reunion and a homecoming. And everybody's invited. You need to call for reservations or email them. And it really looks like a cool event. because, And for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're, we're losing a lot of these ladies. And, and it's really important to, to be able to speak with these folks and get their stories down on you know recorded or on paper as a matter of fact some of the wasps that i've actually interviewed uh, have passed on already and uh, you know it's it's unfortunate they're leaving us but it's it's really important to get those stories so if you get a chance take a look at the website it's waspmuseum.org and we're going to have some links to it in the show notes by the way the show notes you can find at stuck mike avcast forward slash 71 so that's stuck mike avcast 71 well that's the only announcement i have today is the wasp air museum so let's move forward into our main topics and before we get started, just a, a quick brief, uh, Aviation Universe is uh, our sponsor of this episode, and we'd really, if you if you want to support the podcast in any way, just please go out there and check out the website, uh, stuckmikeavcast.com, and visit our sponsors by visiting our sponsors. It actually helps us here bring this programming to you. Now entering cruise flight. 
Well, I think Rick Rick is uh, going to start us off with this this really really cool topic. Something that uh, we could talk about for hours. We just have one, but uh, yeah. it, <laughs> but but it's something that affects everybody, whether you're a pilot or a passenger. So, Rick, what right. what is that? Yeah, well, I was the the topic came. You know, I we all maybe subscribe to different publications about flying. You know, to kind of keep up with things, and uh, I was. I just I happen to see the what is the April edition of Plane and Pilot, and there's a lot of things on the cover, but what jumped out at me was a little sentence: "How to handle turbulence." And I went, "Whoa, okay, great. <laughs> I want to know more about that." But basically, the topic, you know, is turbulence, and um, you know, in the article, and I can just summarize the article generally without you know, because we'll we'll talk about all the topics that are that are in it. I think as we go, so I thought it'd be. An interesting topic to talk about um, because it does affect everyone in various, you know, ways in various, um, you know, uh, flights. You know, depending on the weather, depending on the season, all that, um, and uh, and we all have our own experiences with it. So now the article itself um, is is a good overview of of basically how to mitigate the, either the chances of or the effects of um, turbulence. Um, a lot of it is basically planning. You know, to, on how to avoid it, and some of that is seasonal flying. Um, the, the the gentleman who writes it is is in a warmer climate out west, and uh, talks a lot in his case about getting up early, um, so that he's up in the air earlier before the heat of the day builds. Um, and and I, you know, and I'm not an expert on this topic, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk loosely about it here, and then we can go from there. Um, and uh, there's that, and then there's altitude. Sort of one other solution is to get above it. Uh, especially if you're going cross country, you know, move your way through it, and then find a, you know, find a level, a flight level where, where it's it's uh, tolerable. And he even describes, you know, because he's a pilot that that his plane he flies has the option for oxygen, and he'll he'll even occasionally move up into that level to to uh, as a solution to avoid it. Um, he also gets into mountain flying and the issues that come with where you're flying and related to the ridge line or or, or weather conditions that that are particularly. Um, you know, applicable to uh, mountain flying. Um, and, and then, you know, it just describes the seasons and when you're more likely to run into it and when you're not. And, um, so, and I, but that's my, that was my sense of overview of, of the, oh, the, you know, the, the other thing is speed and, um, sort of managing, you know, how you, you know, how you operate the plane when you're, you know, when you're in the middle of it. Um, and, uh, so I, so that was just the starting off point, And I thought it might be good for us just to talk about turbulence or things we've bumped into or what we've learned to do with it. I mean, a part of what he talks about too, is the idea that the general public kind of feels like turbulence in the planes they fly in is one of the scarier things that they bump into. And in fact, when everybody talks about a flight, they say smooth or not smooth. That, that's their general summary. Oh, it was, beautiful, smooth. You know, that's the thing that, that they get. And if they get a lot of turbulence, um, that usually means the flight wasn't a, a good one for them. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's my quick summary. And you, you know, you just talked about, you touched on something there that we are judged by our flights, usually how smooth it is. And there's, there's really two things that I hear all the time and that's, you know, the landing and also the flight. And what right. amazes me is that it could be a, a, just a calm day out and really smooth, and you could botch the landing, but someone will come up and say, wow, that was the smoothest flight ever. I was like, really? I just right. pranged it on, and you think that was a great flight? Right. <laughs> come on. Right. I mean, in my, you know, exactly. In my case, I tried to avoid extreme days where, where that was likely to be a problem. Um, so I have a few 
there's a few stories, but nothing dramatic because I, I really haven't ever put myself in a situation where I was likely to get some pretty intense stuff. But I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing is, is avoidance, uh, is turbulence avoidance. You know, you try to to avoid it as much as possible, and most of us won't be flying on those days uh, where it's it's super bumpy. But you know, just one thing you touched on there, you know, that people talk about turbulence, and I like to say it's kind of like a boat. You know, it rocks back and forth, but you know it's going to come back upright unless it's really right. bad, and then it'll twist you back over. So uh, I know I used to get really nervous at one point when I was flying, and especially when I started out. All of a sudden, the wing had dipped down, and then the other one had dipped down. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fall out, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, in the beginning when I started flying, I was, like, really, really scared, you know. I right. know, you know, especially where the, the hills are out where Sean is, there's there's quite a bit of mechanical-type turbulence from from the hills out there, I'm assuming. Uh, Sean, have you been up quite a bit in the turbulent areas around there? Not a ton. You know, out in the eastern part of the state, that's where most of the hills are. Um, and I've been out once or twice out that way on a on a breezy day, and you get a little bit of that. I hesitate to call it mountain wave because anybody who lives where real mountains are would just laugh at me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, a, a few times... You know, if even though the hills aren't thousands of feet tall, it you definitely feel it, yeah. Yeah, I know that's uh, that, that's something that, you know, anywhere near an airport where there's heavy winds, you're going to feel that, especially if you're in, like, in a valley. I'm sorry, right. Rick. What you're no, I was just going to say, another thing, that article, I just was flipping through it again, too, touched on, which is important just in terms of avoidance, is being smart about it or being making sure, you know, all information is gathered. And one of the things is PIREPS and, and trying, or, you know, trying to get reports from other pilots about what they've experienced. And I bet, Carl, in... in in your career flying, that's a big part of what information you gather is what are the what are the other pilots uh, in you know ahead of you talking about. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned that, Rick. From from our viewpoint, that's all we talk about, really. Uh, you know, hey, I'm I'm at flight level three seven zero. How are the rides ahead? You know, that's the first thing you'll ask, and one of the re- reasons you you'll ask that question is because of the fact that you know if the rides are bad ahead of you. You uh, you know you're not going to be able to turn that fast and seatbelt sign off. So what you want to do is make sure the turbulence isn't too bad, especially for the passengers and the flight attendants, because that's that actually is one of the things that we're always talking about is the turbulence. You know how are the rides? Oh, these are terrible rides. The funny thing is though, as I've gotten into bigger planes, like what people complain about as a bad ride. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, uh, you know, I've been tossed around so much in smaller airplanes. I get into a bigger plane, and if it just jostles me around a little bit, people, you know, say it's a bad ride. But looking at it from the passenger's point of view, if they've got a Coke in front of them or a coffee, you don't want anything jostling around because you don't want them spilling their you know, meals or whatever, that's for sure, or spilling their drinks, et cetera, on you. But it really, right. it, it's, it's, it's also the other thing about turbulence, what's going to affect you and i think you alluded to this in the in there you talked about speeds i think before yeah well the speeds will actually we'll have to slow down so what is that going to do that's going to change our time of arrival and possibly our our burn our fuel burn and uh, as a matter of fact we actually will go on a different route just for a smoother ride uh because people just really look at that and say hey you know this right. is the best part of the flight is is being able to sit here and relax well, and probably there's an equation that gets done in terms of the business model, right? If exactly. if you're going to slow down and burn more fuel, but if you go over here and you can stay 
you know, at a, at a at a nice clip that the equation is is easy to do by you know somebody, and and it's, <laughs> somebody with all the numbers you exactly. Know? And and what's interesting is there's more than just that in the equation. Something that I never really thought about before I got to the airlines is being on time. So if we can get around the turbulence and we have a great t- uh, tailwind, mm. we'll go around it as long as we'll still be on time. Right. And so we'll go way out of our way, even though we can. We can actually we're going to burn a lot more fuel and, and it's going to take longer quote unquote, but right. we're still going to be there on time. So that's part of the equation I never thought of. But I mean, you know, before I because I have had more more life experience not being a pilot than being a pilot. So before I was a pilot, I you know I know that feeling of thinking that that turbulence was a th- a generally a threatening thing or you you know something to be afraid of if you're riding in a plane you know you're a passenger it 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 feels like it's not good but it isn't generally and we'll talk i think we're going to get into the types of turbulence or the the scale um but generally what i used to consider i used to you know get somewhat anxious about early you know when i was starting to do a business career where i flew a little more as a passenger um isn't you know isn't any isn't anything to worry about at all it's quite is quite normal um but there's that anxiety. I mean, I remember one of the things I loved about I flew United Airlines a lot, and they they had Channel Nine on, and I I loved listening to, um, you know, the the comms and and them them talking, and and a lot of times if it was bumpy, it was it was comforting just to hear them searching for smoother air, you know, making the calls to ask about smoother air. And it seems like some days that's all you hear. It's like, hey, we need to move to the <laughs> south too. We need to move to that one, and it's amazing what just a few thousand feet will do for you. Uh, especially right. up at altitude, you're, you're close to the jet stream, and that can be quite turbulent, incredibly turbulent. You know, depending. Yeah, or, on where and you are. yeah, they, so and maybe no movement is possible given everything else that's going on. But what you hear right. is another ten miles, and it smooths out. Right. And that, you know, even as a passenger listening in, going, "Oh, cool, okay." <laughs> at least they're working on it, and I know it's no big deal, and it's going to stop soon. So um, I remember that. It was quite helpful. Now, Rick and I, I, I know Victoria and Sean, you've you've all flown with other people. Have you done that yourselves? Have Have you tried different altitudes or just said, no, I'm just not going today? Um, you know, you really want to make the flight and you really want to take somebody up, but you're like, ah, not so sure about that. Have you actually varied your path? Like, Victoria, have you ever done that? Yes. Um, actually, I was going to mention it's a little different from going in an airliner since that's a, you know, you got a much larger mass than like a single engine piston plane. So it's going to feel very different from an airliner to having a passenger who has never been in, say, a Cessna before. And also, I've noticed that it makes a difference where you are in the airplane. So I was taking a friend up to Michigan once, and she was in the back seat, and Bob and I were in the front, you know, and I was flying along, and it was pretty bumpy, and, you know, it was a little uncomfortable, but I didn't want, I thought it would wait and see if it smoothed out. But she was in the back where she's getting tossed around a lot more, just, you know, depending where that center of gravity is, her, she was feeling more of the bumps, and she was also more new to aviation. She hadn't been on a long flight like that before. So, you know, with her being uncomfortable in the back, way more than we were up front, we went to higher altitude and it was like crystal clear. So an altitude change can make a world of difference. It was smooth as butter where we were having chop just like 2,000 feet below. And it was luckily, ATC can be very helpful. Even if there's not pie reps, they'll ask someone who's up ahead, you know, along your flight path and say, hey, you know, how is it up there at 8,000 feet, you know, and they'll let you know. So if they have time, ATC is very helpful. 
Oh yeah, they're they're terrific about that because they'll they'll find out somebody in front of you. But it, what's interesting is that you you know you talk about in in light piston aircraft. There's a lot of times you think it's going to be turbulent and it isn't. Uh, you know, if have you ever gone up in those days where it's really blowing and then you get up there and it's fine? You know. Oh yeah. And, and it's like yeah. wow, this isn't bad at all. Right. Yeah, or, when there's a consistent wind, but not not a variable one or something. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I I always look at the clouds. You know, look how bumpy the clouds look, and that can usually give <laughs> you a hint to uh, up in the air. And also, I've noticed at times it may be smooth above, but when you come down and you're close on final, um, the wind gets changes its pattern with the buildings that are surrounding the airport. I used to fly out of an airport that was just surrounded by buildings, the runway. And um, that would change the direction of the wind and how bumpy it was. So sometimes it would be smooth above, but you'd be on final and it'd be way bumpier. Yeah, and that's when you tell your passengers, hey, strap in here. You know, it might be a little bit bumpy towards the ground. And yep. you, you ever get that question? I mean, I used to get that all the time. You know, why is it that everything's smooth and then we get close to the ground, it gets bumpier? And that's your explanation was a great explanation of that. You know, there's just wind and it blows around the buildings, the trees, and it's called mechanical turbulence. And it, it really does affect you quite a bit. I mean, it could be wonderful. And then everything's going smooth until like 100 feet above the ground. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. You know, you're getting rocked around. But, uh, you know, Sean, I think you were talking about a little bit about uh, turbulence before. But you, do, you, do you tend not to go up if it's really bad? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I don't fly as much as I would like, so I figure, you know, the times I do go up, I want to make uh, quality and enjoyable flights. Um, and if you're, you know, fighting turbulence, obviously you could make the argument that that's good for proficiency, I guess, being used to it and fighting through it. But um, I'm mostly up there to enjoy my time. <laughs> right. Wrestling the controls just isn't usually conducive to that. I, I did go up once when I really wished I hadn't. With a with a passenger, and uh, it was my girlfriend at the time, and um, I had uh, just gotten my private pilot certificate, and uh, was home from college on spring break, and wanted to just rent a plane from the local FBO, and uh, I knew it was a little bit breezy, but I thought, no, nah, okay, you know, we can handle it. And as soon as we got up, we I just did a quick little uh, flight uh, about twenty minutes over to the neighboring airport and back. And uh, I was just white knuckled the whole time, thinking this was a mistake. But thankfully, uh, my girlfriend, because this was her very first flight in a general aviation airplane, didn't really have any standard of what to expect. <laughs> so <laughs> she, I think, she just sort of accepted it as well. This is a small airplane, so she was really none the wiser. I don't think to uh, how bumpy it really was that day. And you know, we got back on the ground fine. And I said, okay, uh, next time you might enjoy the ride a little bit better. It should be smoother the next time we go up. <laughs> Low expectations. Now that now this is yeah. this girlfriend. By the way, she's not your wife, right now. Uh, actually, she is now. Yeah, she she oh. was uh, apparently dumb enough to stay with me after that encounter. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Proof that it all worked out. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I would my, say, you know. My, you know, if I think about it, 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 mine are all the experiences I've had directly with it were all during training because with a CFI, you'll often go up a lot more than you would when you make your own call, you know, in terms of being careful and conservative and all that, you know, because their, their comfort, their margin, their comfort level is a little, a little broader than yours. That's what I found. So, yeah, they give um, that confidence boost too. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, and, and, he's in the right seat. We'll be okay. 
Yeah, and that's what's good. Actually, exactly. That's part of it is you get some experiences that you that you might not otherwise get, which partly speaks to ongoing proficiency flying with CFIs because you know go on up and they're with you, and you know you'll see where you're at in terms of you know the the weather and and your abilities. Um, the the cool <laughs> the, the the most comforting thing was when I for a while I was flying um, the Cirrus and it has those shoulder straps, huh. which feel very secure in turbulence you know you're just you're held to that seat carl i don't know yeah, if you know i and that's the shoulder straps i used to have those in my 182 and yeah. you're right you feel a lot more secure as a matter of fact when when you're flying in general you put the we do that at the airline we have the shoulder straps and yeah. and you're stuck in that seat so you're not moving so around you're moving so. with it you're not bouncing against it and right. so yeah that part's cool because i remember you know the other experience was i think in the 172 with a much looser belt and um you know, and I don't know what the margin was above my head that day, but my head hit the ceiling. You know, I moved enough on a pretty big drop, and, and, and I remember that one. But otherwise, uh, I felt pretty secure, you know, bouncing around with the shoulder straps on. You know, other than being uncomfortable, though, there's there's a couple things in that article that you got, Rick. And, and by the way, we'll have a link to it uh, in the show notes. Is the fact that it, it talks a little bit about airspeeds, and he it was. You know, we we really should slow down for a couple reasons, and and obviously one of them so we don't hurt ourselves, like you just said, hitting your head against the ceiling. But also, you know, you don't want to overstress the aircraft, and and you really want to start slowing to the maneuvering speed of the aircraft. Which, by the way, it's not just one airspeed uh, that speed changes with the weight of the aircraft. So it's probably best to figure out what your maneuvering speed is. It's not a it's not a huge range, but it's it's big enough that. If you go on the top end of it, you're gonna you're gonna probably be going a little bit too fast. You might overstress the plane. It may not break, but you know why take that chance? The other thing too is that uh, you know look at the stall speeds on the aircraft. Remember that those are all still air. Now those stall speeds can go up for a couple reasons. Not just the load factor, and this is an important point. I think a lot of people forget, but it's also due to the turbulent air. Because if you have turbulent airflow over your wing it's going to increase that stall speed. Just like if you had something on your wing, say you had some a little bit of ice or something like that, it'll, it'll increase it slightly. So, so that's another thing we have to think about. In turbulent air, we're going to stall uh, quicker than we will in smooth air. But stalling is not such a bad thing. I mean, I, I know you guys have probably heard the stall horn go off while you're flying along, right? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, Yeah, that's, just... You'll bump near it. You'll get near that edge, and you're eh, eh, that thing. Well, there's a reason for that stall. It's yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. thing, which it's I think Carl was thing. going to explain. Exactly. If you stall before you have any type of structural damage, that's a great thing because then you won't have to worry about breaking the airplane. But if you keep going faster and faster, there's some type of structural damage that can happen, and and that's not something we want to try to do because now what happens? We become actually a test pilot. <laughs> and uh, you know we don't we don't really want to do that, or we lose a piece of the airplane. Which uh, who was it? Uh, was it uh, Scott Crossfield? Was it? Uh, I forget. Yeah. Who it was. Is that the one who went into the thunderstorm? Yeah. And uh, didn't come out the other end. And that's some extreme turbulence right there. That's uh, and yeah. that's why I don't I don't like messing around with with storms. I mean I I try not. You know I I go through rain showers and things like that. But and turbulence in a storm is really a tough thing to predict. I mean, you can see a puffy white cloud, and you're like, eh, we'll just go through it, and all of a sudden, bam, and your teeth are just knocked out of your face. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And then you go through a big storm, and and it's just rain. You know, it depends on the flow within that actual storm, whether it's up and down flow and the the change in direction and speeds. 
Hey, Carl, I remember, all, any of you, I, I think I remember hearing early on in, in training that it, on those kind of turbulent flights, that the, the other thing to not do is, is to, I think we talked about this at one point on our show, not to, keep, to not keep an autopilot on. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, that's I it's, mean, yes. Well, I don't know. My, the sense of it was don't, you know, you let the plane ride, but don't let the plane try to maintain something if right. it doesn't want to, you know. Right, and uh, there are some airplanes that, that are better autopilots than others, but the majority, yes, I'd say 90-some-odd percent, you should turn off the autopilot. So, yes, I'd turn off the yeah. autopilot in extreme turbulence uh, yeah. and, and or severe or even yeah. moderate turbulence, depending on – see, some autopilots are better than others, you know, so yeah. it, it'll predi- it can predict that. But you're right. You should really turn that off so that you don't overstress the airplane. Right. And you get that tactile feel. You get that feel from your hands and your seat, whether it's going to – you're going to overspeed that aircraft. Right. You know, that's, and that's really, really important. So, you know, and, and then, you know, you go back to, we, we talk about storms and all, it's seasonal, this turbulence, but it seems like it's winter and, and summer. You know, he talked about that in the article where we go from one thing to the next. We go from, you know, the winters, which can be smooth up above, even though it's howling wind. But once you get near the ground, it's like, whoa. And, and that can actually lead to some stress, I think, and, and really distract the pilot, knowing that you have to come right back down through all that turbulence. Because you start getting worried about it. It's like, oh, no, now i got to deal with this. And, and even if you don't have passengers on board, it can be quite scary. So I think that's one thing he did allude to. it. I know he's talking about it right now because it's summertime and we get those bumps from, you know, all the, the ground being, uh, you know, different heating from the ground. And it's it's going to be a little bit bumpier from the thermals. But, you know, it, it can happen at any time during the year. That's for sure. As a matter of fact, uh, no, uh, Victoria, you wrote an article, didn't you, on your blog about uh, turbulence. I can't remember where that was. I did. Yes. Um, the article I have most recently pulled up on my blog is uh, called uh, Mutt Muffs, Turbulence, and Flatulence. So <laughs> I wouldn't call that very educational, but it's about a dog that on descent on a bumpy day made it a little smelly. Yeah. And and talk about distractions. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, how do you predict this? How do you predict, uh, you know, s- some tools for us to use uh, during flying? And one of the things, uh, I'll, I'll start one, I'll give an example. If you're flying in the hills, say, and you see certain clouds that are just kind of staying over one side of the mountains, and uh, you can see them, they're kind of like, look like a lens. Uh, they're called standing lenticular clouds. Uh, they can even have roll clouds that kind of look like they're, they're rolling uh, like a wheel. And those are closer to the ground. Uh, those are going to be pretty darn bumpy. Uh, so you really want to stay away from those, even though they look like they're actually really smooth. They're not. They're super duper bumpy. Another thing too uh, that he mentions in the article, which I think is outstanding, is the fact that if you're flying in a heavy wind, expect some turbulence around some of the. the you know, we talk about mountains. But also slight ridges, you know, smaller ridges like they have up in Massachusetts, et cetera, where if you're, you know, you're on the upwind side, you get close to the mountain, you're fine, you're raising up, your, your wind is, or your air is rising, just like mm-hmm. ridge sores do. But on the other side, you might come down faster than you can climb. And that's kind of scary, actually. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I, I used to fly this one jet, uh, it was called a, uh, it was a little regional jet and a Canada Air regional jet. And we went across the Rocky Mountains towards from the west to the east, and we were climbing. And I'm a climb profile, and I'm actually descending. So I had to call air traffic control and say, hey, guys, we, we're not going up. We're going down. And that's a bit disconcerting. And that, that'll happen to you a smaller plane. I don't know if you've experienced that. Have you, Rick? 
as far as being on a ridge line? And Sorry. Have you? No, I have. No. Well, yeah, you know, there was a, I was um, heading into a little uh, town in Northwest Massachusetts, uh, North Adams. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's an airport that's, that's, you, you sort of clear a ridge and then you have to, you know, immediately start getting down to, to powder and altitude. And then it's tucked between, you know, a, a ridge on one, uh, really two ridges on either side. So you're in a valley really quickly. And uh, it, coming over the ridge to see the airport, th- there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a bumble going on, but nothing, nothing extreme. Nothing extreme. But I did feel it. I did feel the, where I was. I knew what it, I knew what had just happened, I think. So, if have, have any of you guys ever reported turbulence to other people? Like, say it's in a pilot report or on the ground. Have you ever done that? I've done a few pilot reports or just um, if I hear someone else on the frequency, I let them know where I'm at. If they're asking about turbulence, I'll say, clear over here, and ATC will let them know. And that's uh, that's something that I think is, is very important, is to, to give a pilot report. But... Have you ever been nervous about giving one, you know, and, and not knowing the format of a pilot report? I know, you know I have. <laughs> you know, when we call flight service, they usually just ask. Right. So, you know, it takes longer if you don't know what to uh, ramble off, but they'll they'll ask a few questions and, and help you out. Yeah, a lot of times, if you can, it's a, it's a great help to give them the airspeed, the wind direction, you know, and the uh, also the temperature, outside air temperature. And uh, and then we want to report also the turbulence, the type of turbulence. And I think uh, Rick was kind of alluding to this before: is that there's a there's a way to report those turbulences. And and sometimes we uh, the type of turbulence, excuse me. Some sometimes we we hear reports and we say to them, I'm not sure that's a really valid report. Well, one of the things that I think is really important when you're listening to any turbulence report is you could have somebody in a Cessna 172 reporting turbulence. And depending on their level of knowledge and also the size of the aircraft, of course, it could be moderate turbulence for the Cessna. But say you're flying a Meridian or a Mirage or even, you know, a Corvallis or, uh, you know, like Rick with a Cirrus, the turbulence may not be as, as bad for you because you have a higher wing loading. So you have to kind of look at that turbulence right. like, mm, maybe. Who, yeah, who, fi- who filed it and how consistent how? across, you know. Yeah, what altitudes and then who's what types of airplanes were reporting it? That's exactly. interesting. Exactly. Who who reports it and and what type of aircraft? If you hear a seven forty seven reporting moderate turbulence, that's probably a good idea to not fly that day because that's a big airplane. I mean, they they don't move very much at all. But uh, but you know, Rick, if, if you guys let me let me just rattle off a couple of these uh, just to yeah. relate some of these types of turbulence reports. And by the way, we're gonna have a link to this in the show notes. And it will have, it's actually table 7-1-10. It's actually in the AIM. It's a turbulence reporting criteria table. And it tells you the different intensities of turbulence. And it really is, it's, it's interesting how they, they put this into the table. But I'll just read off the first one here. Light turbulence, okay? Light turbulence, it talks about the aircraft reaction. It's turbulence that momentarily causes slight erratic changes in altitude or, and or, altitude like pitch roll and yaw and you report that as light turbulence now a lot of times you'll hear this term light turbulence when you report it and a lot of people say well it's not light turbulence it's light chop uh well the difference is and they have a good definition here i like this it says turbulence that causes slight rapid and somewhat rhythmic bumpiness 
without appreciable changes in altitude or attitude is reported as light chop. So it's a little bit different than, than the light turbulence. So, you know, it's a little bit like choppier, like, like it describes it. And, and also, when you're reporting, another thing people will want to know is how often are you getting this turbulence? In other words, is it constant or what they call continuous? Continuous means that two-thirds of the time or more, you're in that turbulent condition. Or is it inter- intermittent? Intermittent meaning from one-third to two-third. And occasional is just uh, less than a third of the time you're going to be in that turbulence. So now you know it, it uses a third that is it occasional, is it intermittent, is it continuous? Uh, another important thing about reporting this turbulence is actually figuring out where that turbulence is. So say you're you're flying over, you know, Boston and you say, well the the turbulence like Turbo just did, he the turbulence <laughs> <laughs> the turbulence is he's, he was just reporting that was it was occasional because he was occasionally talking right there. So <laughs> less than a third of the time is that reported turbulence. Thanks, Turbo. I appreciate that. So <laughs> but it's you know, this this is these are the type of reports we're looking at. It's like where and when. So uh, it stopped at like five miles south of the Boston VOR and whatever the other VORs are up there. Is there a Boston VOR? Let me think about that. Gosh, I fly in there all the time. But, uh, you know, you just have to you have to tell them where it started and where it ended, that type of thing. Um, that Now, and I, I'm assuming everybody here has been in light turbulence, and that's not, not that big of a deal. And that's something you want to stay away from, uh, and you try to get smooth rides all the time. But, you know, it's not always possible. The other type of turbulence is turbulence called moderate. Now, turbulence that's moderate is it's similar to light turbulence, but it's greater intensity. You know, changes in altitude and or attitude occur, but the aircraft remains in a positive control at all times. Okay, you're always in positive control. And it usually causes variations in indicated airspeed. And if this happens to you, what you need to do is, is report that it's moderate turbulence. Same thing with the cho- the choppiness. You can report it as moderate chop. You know, these are rapid bumps and, and jolts. Now, that this is something that, you know, most people would not want to do this as far as flying that type of conditions. And this is something you really want to report. And, and when you're doing this pilot report, like we talked before, we actually have the in front of us here and on this table, it tells you, you know, what, how to report that. You know, you report the location, the time, intensity, whether or not you're near clouds, the altitude, the type of aircraft, and when, a, when applicable, of course, the duration of turbulence. There's a portion in here where it says where in or near the cloud you are. Uh, a lot of times the air traffic controller will say, you know, safe flight conditions. And you'll say, well, I'm in the clouds, I'm, you know, I'm not in the clouds, that type of thing. So that's a lot of times they'll ask you that there. Now, the next, next type of turbulence, the last one we're really going to talk about much is uh, severe turbulence. And uh, I'm now before we move on there, has anybody here been in moderate turbulence? Has anybody done that? Victoria? No. Uh, I, uh, I try not to like over exaggerate, so I'm <laughs> sure I have been. Right. I mean, but I've had my like flight instructor freak out once when, when it was training, and I've had my head hit the ceiling, so that'd be pretty moderate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's uh, that's pr- 
probably moderate more so than anything else if the if your flight instructor is getting a bit concerned because yeah. you know spe- you know when the flight instructor gets nervous that's when you should start getting nervous <laughs> kind of a rule of thumb there Victoria okay she's just like Good oh, to know. Good okay to know. yeah <laughs> everything's fine here you know it's no problem you know why is, why is the ground above us <laughs> you know that type of thing but uh, but yeah that's that's I would say that's probably moderate turbulence so it could be occasional you know turbulence and moderate but that sounds like moderate turbulence to me now one other kind that we never we should never see and some of us have is severe turbulence and that's turbulence that causes large abrupt changes in altitude and or attitude and it usually causes large variations in indicated airspeed and the aircraft may momentarily be out of control this is considered severe turbulence most airlines are not allowed to fly into known or forecast severe turbulence so you'll sometimes see if you're waiting to take off that they have to delay the flight because somebody reported severe turbulence. And a lot of times, normally, you'll hear somebody else chime in when someone reports that and say, hey, uh, you know, is, uh, <laughs> is this something that uh, you really want to do is report this uh, as severe turbulence? But uh, anyway, there's – Victoria, you had something, I think, that you wanted to mention about the IFR and, and also mentioning turbulence. Yeah, um, I was just thinking about, you know, I'm not instrument current, but I will be soon, thank goodness. But often, you know, I'll have Bob fly the instruments and I'll be in the right seat and occasionally I'll take over and try to do it. Now, um, the last time I did was on our way back from the Bahamas and it was perfectly smooth. We were in the soup, but it was smooth and not a problem. But I have a problem a lot flying from the right seat um, it can be hard to look at the instruments due to parallax error. And then also you can see the clouds kind of coming at your eyes when you're looking at an angle. And the bumps make it worse. If you remember with instrument training, you're supposed to concentrate on those instruments and not the feeling. You're not flying at the seat of your pants or anything. But those bumps really change how you're feeling when you're flying under instruments. And when you're in IFR weather... And it's bumping along constantly. You need to focus even more. And I found it, it can be very tiring to make sure you concentrate on the instruments and not how you feel when the instrument, uh, when the turbulence is tossing you about. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, looking at those instruments, you you may not be able to see them. You kind of have to take an average if it's really bad of what you're looking at if it's that bumpy. Um, I know. Now, Rick, you're working on your instrument rating, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh boy, I wish I was. <laughs> I mean, in my head, I am. Yeah. But yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, um, it, it, even on rough days when you're starting out, it's hard enough to kind of catch, you know, you know, to see what you're doing, to you know, to reach the right knob. I mean, if it's bouncing around enough, I can imagine that is a challenging thing to, you know, to to focus on the instruments, cl- you know, cleanly. So I I, I get that. And, you know, if anybody's thinking of, of becoming a CFI, that's one of the things that Victoria brought up that's really important is that you have to learn how to deal with not just the turbulence but the parallax, you know, actually looking at an instrument from the side and knowing what it says. Uh, as a matter of fact, I spent so much time instructing in the clouds that when I actually sat in front of the instruments, I started finding I was a little bit off because I was taking into consideration the parallax because i had you know hundreds of hours of instrument time from the right seat flying left seat controls so it kind of confused the heck out of me when i first got into it but you know i figured it out after a while that's but it's funny how 
how that and that's an awesome point because there, a lot of folks listening are you know they're flight instructors and and they're like yeah I can I can relate to that especially in the turbulence there but uh, you know the but uh, the other part of that turbulence too we we're talking about moderate and I was just talking about severe here that's something that uh, we really don't want to get involved with I mean I've had severe and borderline extreme turbulence once ever I've been in severe turbulence twice but. The one time was over Oshkosh, actually, in Wisconsin, when they were having uh, Oshkosh last year. I flew through a level five thunderstorm by accident, and, uh, you know, our radar actually had failed, and we didn't really uh, recognize it. And, boy, I tell you, that was one wild, wild ride. And uh, all we did is keyed the mic and say, hey, we need a block altitude of 5,000 feet up and down. And that's all we could get out. And we finally got through the other end, but... Uh, without overstressing the aircraft, but I went from full power to idle power to full power to idle power, just trying to keep the airspeed within within the the range and within the limitations of the aircraft, and that's that was pretty scary. I mean, you, you really uh, you, you say to yourself, I don't ever want to do that again. Uh, but it, you hopefully will maybe never see that in your career, or maybe once or twice, and and that's enough, and that that'll learn you to never ever try to go through any kind of weather especially if your, your radar is not working, but obviously ours, we didn't realize, was not working properly at the time. So severe turbulence is, is something that <clears throat> if somebody reports it, you, you really don't want to um, <laughs> you don't, you don't go through it. As, as a matter of fact, as a passenger, the, uh, with, say with the airlines, you're, the majority of uh, not just passengers but crew that are injured are actually through turbulence. And a lot of people don't realize that. It's not other passengers throwing stuff at them or punching them or whatever, although you think it might be. It's, it's actually being tossed about through, uh, through the cabin because of turbulence. And, and sometimes you hit clear air turbulence and you don't know what's coming. And you're like, oh, darn, you know, how do you predict that? Well, the way you predict that is, just like Victoria mentioned before and Rick, is that you look ahead and ask for, for different turbulence reports. Um, but I am assuming that that no one's ever been in the severe turbulence here. I'm hoping that you won't ever be, maybe as a passenger. I don't think I'd be here today. No. I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I would have wet my pants, yes. probably. <laughs> I, I was. I, I had an uh, approach you know, as a passenger into um, Philadelphia that I think was probably took them by surprise a little bit because it, you know, I don't, I, don't rem- I just remember it was huge movement, uh, you know, uh, vertically. I don't think we were rolling much. But it was it was uh, you know thrashy. Tightened the seatbelt hard and just I thought, well, these guys must know what they're doing, and they did know what they were doing. It was it ended up being fine. But it was um, night, and it was I'm sure it was a thunderstorm of some kind that they you know maybe didn't get around fast enough or something. But anyway, and and it seemed to go on forever because whatever we were in, they were I'm sure slowing down, and you know it just went. It was and I you know just sticks in my mind as a shockingly bad ride right at the end that probably wasn't quite predicted the way it turned out. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting talking about not being predicted. I know Bill Cox, uh, he's the person that wrote this article about, I think it was called, what, the season of turbulence that you uh, that uh, Rick gave us. Uh, you know, he talks about predicting it, and, and all of a sudden you're, you all of a sudden get a jolt, and it's like, whoa, what, where'd that one come from? Uh, you know, <laughs> another interesting thing that he said in the article is that you know, we all think that, oh my gosh, I pulled five G's and that, you know, that was an amazing jolt. And he actually went ahead and put a G meter. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. In his Swift. And I forget what he said. He said, oh, here it is. He, 
it, it went it never really went past 2.0 2 G's even though you may think it's 5 or 6 or 7 G's it really never really went past 2 G's in in his swift and you know we we sometimes you know when it's happening to us it you have to calm down and and, and the point being is that after you've been through the turbulence it's best to wait a couple minutes and then maybe report the turbulence uh, because you may have been over-reporting it, possibly, <laughs> like you said with the with the uh, G meter there. Well, you also don't want to report it while you're in the turbulence because you're gonna sound like it's this every, every, every once in a while. Yeah, like a helicopter pilot, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're always in some kind of chop in the helicopter. Now I'm gonna get hate mail from the helicopter guys. But the uh, you know I think the other point that he made is the fact that I just love the fact that he just changes altitude a couple times a little bit and you know what we can glean from this is the fact that there's all these little things that you can do uh, and he calls this the season of turbulence and you know the only thing I can say is that every season has its turbulence but he gives you some great ideas about when to fly when not to fly and you know I I really. I'm excited about taking people up flying, and and one of the things that I did wrong, and I've mentioned this, is that I brought you know my girlfriend at the time and now my wife up on a really bad day for her first ride with me in an airplane, and uh, it took me like uh, gosh about a year and a half, two years just to get her back in the airplane again after that experience, and I'm like you know what I'm such a dummy why did I do that, and you know we can learn from this especially when we're taking friends up flying and family. Is that we really, you know, we should try to as hard as we can to figure out turbulence and 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 report it too. You know, one thing that uh, he also mentions as far as reporting, we you talk flight service and flight watch. Uh, remember that's on one twenty two point zero. He and that's you know where we can report that type of thing and and flight watch and ask for any pyreps in the route. But there's it, it's interesting. Another thing he mentions is one two three point four five. And you can talk to other pilots on that frequency, and a lot of people are monitoring that. That one, two, three, four, five. Has anybody ever used that frequency here? Yeah. You talking to other pilots? It's usually just goofiness. You'll hear people pop up, or a couple of people that are flying in formation. I've I've never seen it be super informative. Right. More of like a conversation channel, which is kind of nice. But um, it would be nice to see people using it for more informational services. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and I guess as an aside, I some people know this is that we're you know we're required most airlines to be to actually monitor one two three four five when we're over the uh, ocean or out of radar contact, so we can actually talk to other pilots on that frequency because uh, there's one twenty one point five which is the emergency frequency and that's one that we monitor uh, at all times, but one two three four five is what we use. Say we want to actually relay information to air traffic control but we want to relay that information through another pilot in another airplane they can actually do that for you say hey could you tell uh air traffic control that uh this is where i am this is the heading the altitude etc and uh you know could you relay that along they use one two three four five and the other person will get on their uhf radio and relay that information so it's something that actually is used more so over the water but i think it's a it's a great resource uh, the other term that some people use is fingers. I've heard people say that. Get it one, two, three, four, five, so you can actually report it on there. But you know, one thing we we haven't really covered, and we don't we don't have a whole lot of time to cover it, is is what are our resources uh, besides other pilots for figuring out turbulence? Well, 
I know that I use uh, some aviation weather online, and uh, I don't know what, what some of you folks use, but the, uh, the aviation weather that I use is aviationweather.gov, and they have a lot of good stuff out there in turbulence. Has anybody else used any other products besides that for turbulence? Well, Not I mean, right. I don't. I, yeah, I don't know anything other than looking for, um, you know, the kind of reports for the day because you'll get those. Um, yeah, I don't have a specific go-to for turbulence. I don't think. Well, I thought. Well, Rick, actually, that was kind of a lead-in because there's a, one product I think you know more <laughs> about than most, and I think it's uh, Forflight. Uh, yeah, they actually have a great resource on there for weather and turbulence, and. Yeah. Uh, are those the? Are they? Uh, is it in the maps area? Yeah, it's actually in, in the weather Graphics? area. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and they can pull that up there. And I think under right. the newer versions, I don't use it anymore. So that's why I was going to ask you. If, I think under the newer version, you can overlay that. Uh, yeah, on charts. In fact, it was funny. That was an accidental thing early on that 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 they had for a while that was great because <laughs> you can overlay <laughs> it over a sectional. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you can over. I know you can overlay radar. I don't. Right, I, I right, don't want radar. to speak. Uh, but yeah, no. But yeah, there's a lot of data. I mean. You, you you shouldn't really be surprised, you know, about it if it's generally, you know, where where you're at. I mean, it's it's pretty avoidable, especially especially the extreme stuff. And I don't just mean the word extreme, the the non light chop. <laughs> right, right. So, and and they also the they have graphs on pi reps and all. I find mm-hmm. that's really cool. You know, where you can actually look at a picture. I'm much better with pictures than words. And, right. And I I think those those products are just awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I hear the audio ones or whatever, and I try to form the mental. Okay, how many miles off Nantucket was that, and how many? You know, it's it's just hard to draw the map. So you're right; it is better to have a visual, I think. And and you know, if you do have that, a little tool that I use is I actually plot points on the GPS, and I'll I'll make a big circle. You know, when I do get that report, and I'm writing it uh-huh. down real fast, and then plot those points, and I can see a big circle or whatever formation that I have, and that's where my turbulence is. So that's wow, another cool. little little tool. You can use that in ForeFlight too, by the way. You can actually oh, cool. plot those things, which I, I think is pretty cool. It's just another little thing that, that yeah. you can use for that. Um, but cool. Uh, anyway, I think that, that was that's it for our time as far as the turbulence uh, discussion is. Uh, did anybody else want to add something before we get into our picks of the week? I think that's about it. Yeah. So our picks of the week. Let's move on to our picks of the week. I think um, we have. Let's see. Victoria, what was your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week is something most people probably know about. Um, it's Instagram. I got on a few months ago, and I've been starting to follow a few pilots here and there. And uh, much like Twitter, you hashtag things, but it's just photos that you can upload and short videos. And I've been um, checking out a few hashtags like hashtag avgeek, hashtag aviation, Hashtag Aviatrix, and I found some very uh, great accounts on there and some wonderful pictures and some cool pilots from student pilots to professionals. So if you're looking for another um, avenue to network and find other uh, pilots, uh, check out Instagram. So you can find me at uh, V-E-Z-E-E, so V-Z. V-Z? <laughs> V-Z. So, so, okay, now I'm going to... I'm a little ignorant to Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like the difference between that and Pinterest. Pinterest is crafts and things you can pin on little virtual bulletin boards that is equally addictive. Mm-hmm. But Instagram is kind of like Facebook, but with just photos. 
Oh. So it's a, it's a social networking tool, whereas Pinterest is like a crafting, just, you know, saving your, your little boards. It's like a, you know, instead of making a scrapbook of things you want to do and craft ideas, it's online. Wow. You know, it's interesting you said that because, uh, do you know Fiona Horn? She's uh, uh, a- aviation. She's at Benke Aviation down in, uh, she's from Australia, but this is in the U.S. Virgin Islands. She used Pinterest, or excuse me, Instagram like crazy. Mm-hmm. And she had all these followers uh, right there at Sun and Fun. And it was it was fascinating because I went on there and I took a look and I was like, yeah, this is really cool. There's some people that take some amazing photos on there. It's yeah, like, I didn't used wow. to think it was that great. But now that I'm on it and addicted, you know, it's it's. I think it started off just as a camera app to filter photos and make them look old or cool or whatever. But now it's actually a whole social, extra social media venue. And then you can easily um, upload them to Twitter and Facebook from there as well. So you don't have to be on three different uh, social medias. Oh, boy, I tell you, I love posting yeah. photos. I mean, this this looks like fun. And this is and this is free? Or this yes, it's free. It's free. Um, your yeah. photos have to be a square. And if you don't want to crop your photo into a square, I recommend InstaSize. And that'll put like a letterbox on each side. So you can upload it, your um, photo as a square and see the whole photo. You know, I noticed in my iPhone, I can select a square when I'm taking pictures now. Yeah, they added that. They added that it's because of the success Instagram. of Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is great. I'm learning so much new stuff. This is awesome, and I don't have to pay for it. But I'm sure Rick has something I have to pay for. I, you know. But uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Yeah, I do. But actually, I don't know that you actually have. Well, you, you will feel you need this part. Part of this app, I just realized this is an app I use occasionally, but it's really great. And I don't know necessarily that it applies totally to aviation because my field it, it involves uh, videography, so shooting. Uh, videos and and um, this information is important, but it's called Helios and it's a and I and I did check and I'm pretty sure it is in its current form. There is there there are Android apps called Helios and it's I'm sure this one is only iOS at this point. Um, it is a, a sun position calculator that that just in various wonderful graphic ways will show you where the sun will be at any given location on the planet at on any given date and time. Uh, so if you need to know that information, this is a very cool um, app that the, 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 the people who make it is, is called the company is called Chemical Wedding. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll put a link. Uh, I'll send you the link. We'll put a link in the, in the notes. Um, and so you can just say in Phoenix, Arizona on May 1st of next year, I, I have to you know, I need to know some stuff about the arc of the sun that day show it to me and you, and you'll see it. And if you're standing somewhere, it can show you where you can expect the sun to be at whatever time. And it's, it's, a. Uh, I don't remember what it's, what it cost. Um, uh, but it was, it, it was not just one of those 99 cent ones. Um, because I think they thought there was, there was an actual industry use for it in terms of the uh, media. So, um, anyway, it's called Helio sun position calculator. And if you have a need for that information, it is awesome. Helios Sun Position Calculator sounds pretty good for taking pictures of, say, your airplane. You got to get that right shot with the right angle yeah, of the sun. 
exactly. Or if you're looking for, exactly, you know, who knows? I'm trying. There's, so there's I, probably I, some loose connection to aviation that I can find, but I like the. Well, Apple that's a lot. it right there. I could, yeah, I could actually go. buy it. now. I can buy it because I can use it to take pictures of airplanes at right. airports. While you're talking, I'm going to look up the price so that you have some idea because uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to make your wife crazy. No, no, no. <laughs> if she only knew. Gosh. No, no. I will tell you. Stop. This is you're not going to do this because I'll tell you. This is like this is one of those rare apps that's actually. <laughs> costs what what old apps used to cost and it's very sophisticated it's 29.99 i mean that is a and i and i you know i bought it for work so i i i can do all sorts of things with that but um if you go to just go to the product description page that we provide in the links and you'll see what it does and you'll know if you have a need for it right. so you don't have to buy that one carl don't worry no 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 i won't actually i'm <laughs> gonna be good yeah that's not a five dollar one and not only that, I've run out of room on my iPhone. It's just like I there start deleting them and stuff like that. That's that's a cool one, though. I like that. I'll, I'll try to come up with another one that you'll have to buy next time. And I'll have to buy if it's aviation-related, which that yes, just became I'll, in my mind. I'll work that out. <laughs> well, terrific. <laughs> and we'll have links to that one. Also, uh, let's see. Next person up is Sean Moody. You have a, uh, a pick of the week. Yep, uh, mine is a new book, um, and uh, it might be more interesting for uh, people who are local to my area, but it's called Bluegrass Airport, an American Aviation Story, and it talks about all the evolution of how uh, Bluegrass Airport here in Lexington came to be. Um, I didn't realize this. There were actually a couple of other locations where there were airfields over the decades before the actual uh, airport came to be. Um, and if anyone's familiar with the astronaut story Musgrave, he uh, I didn't realize this. I knew he had lived in Kentucky, but he actually learned to fly at Bluegrass Airport, and he wrote the foreword to the book. Um, but it's really interesting. A whole lot of pictures, photographs of uh, the bluegrass over the years. Um, really cool old photographs of uh, World War II era planes out on the uh, the runways at the time. Um, really, really interesting book. And so if you live here in the Kentucky area or if you don't you're just interested, if you go to bluegrassairport.com slash book, you can, uh, you can find it there. And it's uh, thirty nine ninety five. Okay, thanks. Thirty nine ninety five. Awesome. That's uh, you know, I, a lot of us in aviation love history, and I that's that's definitely one I, I'm going to try to pick up. That's that's just totally cool. Well, thanks for that one. And uh, let's see. Oh, it's it's me next. I have a I do have a pick of the week this this week, and it's actually it, it's a website and it's a podcast, and it's called the Finer Points Podcast, and it's by a a gentleman who's just a super terrific uh, man, Jason Miller. He's uh, has anybody listened to that? By the way, the finer points. Yeah, you know what's funny? His, his when his because it started for a while, stopped for a while while he had his life, and I assume he's back doing it again. Yes. Um, but he was doing it when he was first doing it. It was when I was training, and I couldn't miss a single episode because I learned so much from that podcast. Big thumbs up for that for that one. He does a great job. He does. He does a terrific job. I actually got uh, had the honor of actually interviewing him a couple of days ago. He's actually going to be on the next episode of Aviation Careers podcast oh, cool. talking about flight instructing. But I love how he does these little bite-sized pieces of information. They're easily digestible, and you'll remember them. And he's he's just somebody who is totally passionate about aviation. But not only is he started getting into the you know, this whole thing about teaching. He's also into adventure training, you know, going out in the wilderness. You know, he's into boating. He's into scuba diving. Uh, he's into survival training. And this all comes into the same umbrella. And, you know, th what's really neat is we use this airplane so we can go out and have some fun and, 
And I think that he has this terrific series about uh, mountain survival skills, and you have to have to really check it out on his website. It's called thefinerpoints.net. And he brings back the fun of aviation along with the actual information about practical flying skills. And that's something that it's hard to find. It's a, it's a rare combination. But the finer points of flying is... Uh, and he's a pretty good artist, too. Just a, just a real... I like to call him one of the renaissance men of the uh, aviation industry. Uh, he really is into a lot of different things, and he's developed some incredible course, courses. So so it's thefinerpoints.net. The After Landing Checklist. Well, that's it for, uh, let's see, that's it. That's the last, uh, uh, let's see, do we have any more? Nope, that's it. The uh, And if you want to find all these different, you know, picks of the week and links that we talked about here, just go out to... Uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, and it's going to be uh, episode 71. You know, I really appreciate you folks listening to us today. We Hopefully we've brought you some information, but also been been entertaining. And, you know, if if you like the, the podcast, do us a favor. Go out to StuckMikeAvcast.com and, and visit those folks that, that actually sponsor the show because they're the ones that, that keep this material coming to you uh, every, you know, twice a month. And, and especially the folks at Aviation Universe. At Aviation Universe, they're actually the ones that are sponsoring this episode here. And they have some really cool products and have been doing some innovative things as far as training. So check them out at aviationuniverse.us. Well, folks, uh, appreciate you listening. And from myself, Carl Valeri, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, and Rick Felty, we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. Take care, folks. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.